0: Hey everyone, welcome to Home Alone and Comfortable as Heck, the podcast that takes a deep dive into canine behavior, building up alone time comfort, and helping improve the welfare of our beloved canine companions. In this podcast, we will discuss real life tactics for modifying behavior, real alone time case studies, and help guide you through the emotional process of behavior change. So sit back, relax, and get ready to take the next step in your alone time training. Hey everyone, welcome back to Home Alone and Comfortable As Heck, the podcast. Today we are going to talk about the number one thing that you can do to help maximize your alone time training efforts. But as always, before we do, let's answer some listener questions. So the first question comes from Alan. Alan is working through the home alone training course and is curious about how to encourage her pup to be comfortable in multiple areas of the house during their alone time training. So Alan, thank you so much for this question. It's a very important one and I actually get it quite often. So when we are initially starting in our alone time training protocol, typically I recommend that clients return to the same general location in between the steps that they're doing for that day. The reason for this is because our dogs can really thrive off of predictability and when we're working on alone time training and systematic desensitization, a lot of the times things are toggled and randomized. So I typically find that if we have um, the family member or the entire family, whoever's running uh, through the session, return to the same location, generally speaking, that's usually like the living room or maybe a bedroom or a kitchen, wherever they spend most of their time um, when they're actually at home, if they could return to the consistent, same consistent location a lot of times pups will become comfortable faster. Down the line we definitely start to introduce going to different locations in the house as well as, you know, not stopping on breaks and actually continuing adding movement, things that are quote unquote realistic like using the restroom, washing dishes, etc but in the beginning even the first few months of training i do typically recommend my clients just go back to the same general location where your dog is the most likely to return back to a comfortable position so hopefully that does help um, answer your question alan and let me know if there's anything else i can do to help assist you on your journey All right, the next question is a very, very important question asked by Marissa, one of my followers on Instagram. So Marissa was curious. Um, She said that her dog gets very upset when she's getting ready to leave to the point that she cannot even actually leave. And she's curious about how and what can be done to help that specific situation. Marissa, first off, you are not alone. That is exactly where a lot of the clients that I work with find themselves. It's almost as though these routines that we do before we actually leave AMP are, not every dog, but amp some dogs up so much that before you even are actually out the door, their stress levels are already through the roof in some cases. So um, this is a great question. And actually what we're doing when we're building up, uh, gradually exposing our dog to alone time comfort by using systematic desensitization, we're actually going to be taking apart every little piece of what it looks like for you to get out the door and slowly piecing it back together at a rate that's comfortable for your dog. So that having been said, the situation that you're in is exactly where a lot of clients will start with an alone time training protocol. You will likely find that by removing some of these, um, what we call pre-departure cues, like grabbing your shoes, grabbing your jacket, grabbing your keys, etc. when we can remove those and slowly add them back in, we almost break apart the sequence to the point where it doesn't predict that same scary absence that the dog is um, was once Anticipating, therefore, you're able to actually get out the door with comfort, and then we start doing low levels of duration, and then we start moving away from the door, and then we can add back in those pre departure cues that were, you know, once scary for our dog. Um, The reason for this and why it works so well in this order is that initially, these pre departure cues, like that, all that routine that you do before you leave. It's scary because it predicts the absence. So if we can actually start with the absence itself, make that not scary in and of itself, when we go back and add in those pre-departure cues, they no longer have as much emotional baggage because the thing that they once predicted is actually no longer scary on its own. So hopefully that helps, but don't worry, everything you're describing is very normal, Um, and I say that term lightly, but very normal for a lot of these cases that I work on and you are right in the perfect footing to just move forward and get started with systematic desensitization. All right. And the last question for today comes from a follower, Nate. So Nate was curious. He says he has roommates and he wants to be able to leave with his roommates down the line, uh, but that his pup gets so upset when just he leaves and he's just wondering how how he can incorporate his roommates. Should he be adding them into training? Should they be doing it on their own? etc.? So Nate, this one, um, I get the gist of what you're saying and it is a pretty complex question just because I have not seen your actual pup in action. So I can't give you very specific recommendations for your case. So if you are interested, I highly recommend um, send me a message on Instagram. We can get you on the books for a threshold assessment and I can get a better feel for what it is that your pup is struggling with. But generally speaking, um, I work with so many families that have, you know, multiple family members um, or other roommates, etc. And in those situations, honestly, the easiest approach in the beginning is oftentimes to have that one person yourself in this example, um, do the training just to get your pup understood what this training game even is. And once they start to understand the process, then we can add on additional complexities of another person leaving with you or another person in general doing the training etc but for the for the sake of ease in the very beginning I oftentimes just recommend doing whatever you can control so if that's just yourself for right now then that's perfect and down the line you can absolutely increase your criteria to the point where everybody in the household can leave together or you can leave in advance and then the other roommate leaves etc but in the beginning just focus on you and um, definitely take me up on that if you are interested I will leave a uh, link in the show notes you can just book a threshold assessment pretty easily all right you guys so that's it for our questions today as always i am an open book i love hearing from you guys if you have any questions at all about prior podcasts or this specific episode please do not hesitate to tag me on twitter or send me a direct message on instagram love hearing from you and i'm doing this essentially for you so just let me know what it is that you're interested in hearing a little bit more about and i'm happy to dive in now, on to the topic for today. So, today we are going to be discussing the number one thing that you can do today, right now, to help maximize your alone time training efforts. First and foremost, I just wanted to Just get out there and say, remind you really, every dog is an individual and every single dog is going to have their own path through to comfortable alone time. That having been said, there is actually one thing across all cases that will help every individual dog move towards your goals faster. And that is dun dun dun. Minimizing stress levels. This is a huge one, you guys. Think about it this way. If we are inadvertently adding stress to our dog's bucket every single day, it's only a matter of time before that bucket overflows. This is why when we're working on behavior modification, and that's regardless of whether it's alone time, comfort, leash reactivity, stranger danger, etc., it's just so important that we avoid what we call trigger stacking. Trigger stacking can happen when Basically, low levels of stress are continually added to an individual's plate over time. I say over time very loosely because that could be a span of a day, that could be a span of a couple of days, a week, etc. But when we are constantly adding stress on top of stress, on top of stress, on top of stress, it's only a matter of time before um, that individual just kind of has a breakdown. And we'll talk more about that and what that looks like. So let's think about this in human terms. Let's say you wake up late for work because um, you're alarmed and go off, for example. When you finally get out the door, you see that your car won't start. You call a cab. It takes them 45 minutes to get to you. You get into the cab. There's traffic along the way. By the time you get to work, your boss is upset, needs to have a meeting with you. Lunchtime hits. You forgot to bring your leftovers from last night so you don't have anything to eat. Finally, the day is over. You get into the next cab and that cab takes the wrong route home. By the time you finally get home, you see that your partner did not have dinner ready. Normally, this likely wouldn't matter much to you, but today in these circumstances, it is the end of the world and you get into a fight. So can you see how each and every one of those little isolated events might not have been the end of the world on their own, but when piled on top of one another leads to an over-threshold experience in which you may have behaved in a way that you would not normally behave. So this happens to our dogs a lot, you guys. Like let's, to put it in the dog's terms, let's say you had some snacks that didn't agree with them earlier in the day, so they're having a little bit of GI upset. You have been working on leash reactivity and your, bu- your pup's been doing absolutely fast fabulous, but today, since they're not feeling 100% given the GI upset, they have a quote unquote episode, or they have a freak out at a trigger. That episode left their stress levels higher for the rest of the walk, so then they had a few more episodes and situations that normally, as of recently, they would have been fine with. Then they get home when you finally give them food. Their dog brother decides to gobble it up, leading to a minor altercation. Now you need to run right into your alone time session because you're late for work, Um, But both of your pups levels of stress are already very high given the prior event. And in this situation, your dog is likely not going to have the same quote unquote threshold that they would have had on a day in which they didn't have multiple triggers impact them already. Does that kind of make sense you guys? Hopefully you can kind of see how it's the same as with us humans. Little teeny tiny things isolated that might not be the end of the world when we're looking at them in isolation, but when piled on top of one another can really create a perfect storm um, for a reaction or a stress level response that that individual might not usually have. So getting back to our topic today, this is why when we are working on modifying behavior and changing an underlying emotional response, it is so important that we are cognizant of our dog's routine triggers and environments not sure how to get started with lowering overall stress levels here's some here's some common ideas so write down all of your dog's triggers um, whether that's other dogs maybe noises uh, daycare do they actually enjoy daycare or is it stressful does meeting new people increase their stress levels etc once you know all of your dog's quote unquote triggers manage them that means do the best to your human capabilities to avoid these situations that are going to lead to potential increases in fear anxiety or stress when you're able to work on behavior modification. If you don't have the capacity to do this on your own, hire a trainer that can hold you accountable for said behavior modification. And then and, and in addition to this and managing their triggers and working on behavior modification, you can also increase their species specific enrichment routines. And this includes things like scent games, nose work, um, et cetera, anything to kind of help lower their stress levels. We already know that a dog that is highly, uh, like highly stressed on a day-to-day, when we can add in additional usage of their olfactory system, it kind of helps combat that level of stress. A dog can't be taking deep breaths and actively getting increasingly stressed at the same time. So by giving them abilities to focus on species species appropriate enrichment and olfactory games, et cetera, we can help maximize just that increased overall feeling of welfare and well-being. And when we have this as a general baseline on the day-to-day, a dog that's comfortable, species-appropriate enrichment, stimulated, etc., it's going to be less likely that they're also having increased levels of stress at the same time. I am also a huge fan of decompression walks. For those of you that might not know what a decompression walk is, basically when we bring dogs into our lives, we constantly have rules on rules on rules. They're either stuck in the house when we when we don't want to be outside, or they're outside with us and they're on leash. Their leash is only six feet long. They aren't allowed to do a ton of sniffing with a lot of households, etc. So when we can actually add in what I call a decompression walk, we can allow that species appropriate behavior. Behavior when out and about. That means um, a lot of my clients will go to big open fields or if you live by a hiking trail, etc. You can allow your dog to roam naturally, jump onto rocks, sniff whatever they wanna sniff. No pressure of us getting from point A to point B and just really allowing them to manipulate the environment in a way that they would if they weren't living in our chaotic city lifestyle, right? So decompression walks, um, it's really personal preference. If you live in an area where um, first off it's legal to be off-leash. Don't even get me started about people having their dogs off-leash when it's not legal. But if you have a place nearby that is off-leash friendly, and you're comfortable with your dog being off leash and they have reliable recall, you can absolutely do this off leash to allow maximum ability to choose what it is that they're doing on their walk. Or if you have a younger dog or a new rescue, or maybe you're just not fully comfortable with your dog off leash, you can also just get a long line. Um, I really love the biothane long lines because they don't get tangled. They don't make a big mess of, of itself. So you can attach it to your dog. They have 10 foot, 15 foot, 30 foot, you name it, so your dog has the feeling of freedom, but you have the security of not having to worry about, you know, whatever, what ifs could happen, right? So big, big fan of decompression walks, leash walks on concrete are not the thing. And this next one is a big one, you guys, give them off days. Not just off days from alone time training or leash reactivity training, but off days from everything. Go for a decompression walk, like we mentioned. Go for a hike in the woods. Lazily hang out on the couch and watch Netflix all day. Do what the two of you enjoy, but definitely take times off. There is nothing that that goes to say that the more you do or the faster you do things, the quicker you're going to get to your goals. In all actuality, just like us humans need weekends and off days for work our dogs do too so make sure you're adding in those off days So all of this having been said, if you find yourself really struggling to manage your dog's stress levels, it might be time to reach out to your vet. Maybe they can help you rule out potential underlying medical concerns. You can get their opinion on the matter, their anxiety, their stress levels, and see what they think might be helpful for your dog. I'm always a big proponent of having a team for every family that I work with. It's rare that it's just myself, the client, and the dog. More often than not, it's us with their other trainer, uh, like LinkedIn to everything, their vet staff that they work with, their veterinary behaviorist, etc. We have an entire village to help every single team. And that really helps us ensure that we're making all of the appropriate steps in the right direction to help our pups um, gain maximum levels of increased welfare. And then last but not least um, before I skip through and talk to the ne- I talk about the next portion of this podcast when we're talking about hiring a trainer to help you manage and modify your dog's behavior out and about I'm not talking just any trainer you guys we need to find a trainer for your dog that is going to hold their welfare above all else we need to find a trainer that is going to allow your dog as much choice and freedom in the training process as we can possibly give them when our dogs have high levels of stress and fear and anxiety on the day to day it is not helpful to add in things like aversives or punishment tactics for for any dog really if I'm being completely honest but again that's a whole another podcast in and of itself but especially for our dogs that already have increased levels of anxiety or that are working on anxiety types of situations. So when you're looking for a trainer, it is very important that you're looking for somebody that has uh, credentials that you trust, that you're looking for somebody that continually is seeking continued education and growing and learning. No trainer is ever done with education. I constantly enroll myself in ridiculous amounts of continued education because I don't don't know everything, I do not claim to know everything, and it is a big red flag for any trainer out there if they're not doing continued education. There is always something for them to learn, and when they don't continually try to improve themselves, it makes me feel that maybe they're, maybe using some outdated tactics that aren't necessarily going to be helpful for any dog, let alone a dog that has anxiety levels. If anybody's ever curious about how to find a trainer, etc. There's actually a really awesome nonprofit that um, I'm very familiar with the uh, executive director. So Humane It is an absolutely amazing resource, you guys. They cover you know everything from how to find a trainer, you know what to look for in a trainer, what questions to ask, etc. So if you have not heard of them before, Humane give them a look. All right, you guys, last but not least, try to remember our dogs are doing their best. They are doing the best that they possibly can every single day to help them. Let's just take some things off of their plate. Allow them to worry less. Allow them to be dogs, you guys. So if anybody has any questions or if you have some really fun things that you've implemented into your dog's life for increased levels of welfare, please tag me in. them. post a story on Instagram. I would love to hear all of this. I love all of your ideas. When we can help remove added stress, we could really allow your dog to, de- to decompress. When they can finally decompress, they will be in a much healthier mindset to tackle training and start to build up comfortable alone time or whatever behavior modification protocol you're working on for the many years to come. Well, all right, you guys, that about sums up for today. I am very excited to say that I have some amazing guests lined up for the near future. Uh, I mean, amazing. You're not going to want to miss them, okay? So be sure to subscribe if you have not already. We're going to be covering some incredibly valuable information for both pet owners and dog trainers alike. So do not miss out. Did today's episode leave you with any lingering questions? I would be more than happy to address them on my next podcast. Please send me any questions or comments pertaining to this episode via Instagram at trainingwithally and or on Twitter at trainingwithally. I'm very much looking forward to hearing from you. All links and information discussed on this podcast can be found in the show notes below. This podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any individual case. Please consult your veterinarian before adding to or modifying your pet's current treatment plan.